Episode 92, we go in and presents here with Rec Riddles, who just dropped Scam Musial. Rec, how are you doing, man? I'm pretty good, man. Can't complain, man. Life is good. You know, it's out here cranking out good music as usual, man. And, you know, I love what you're doing with Scam Musial and just what you're doing overall with, with your music and, and your lyricism. You know, I first heard about you on Southern Vanguard and I was like, you know, definitely got to track you down for an interview. Um, so, yeah, so props on Scam Musial, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. So putting this album together with Capo, man, what, what was that process like, um, especially looking at, you know, the production, the lyricism, really blending it all together um, to just be the cohesive project that it is? Well, I, so I, I met Capo back in two, uh, 2015, I want to say, through a mutual friend um, out in St. Louis. And um, I just always was a fan of his production. He was always a fan of my MC skills, but, you know, we never really quite, you know, linked up and, and got into to the studio to work. So um, he was working on a compilation in 2021 and he wanted me to be a part of that. And he sent me a bunch of tracks, a bunch of beats. And based off of the beats that he sent me, I said, you know what, let's just go in and do a full length project, because at the time I was looking for new uh, producers to work with. I was kind of getting tired of producing the music myself and um, it kind of just built from there, you know, and and the a beautiful thing about Cap is that he's a legit fan of mine and I'm a legit fan of his. So it was really easy to to get in the studio and create that cohesion between the two of us. And he kind of really tailor fit the beats to my style. So it was really easy for the project to come together, man. Definitely. That's great. And, you know, you talk about that authentic, like appreciation for each other's uh, skills and talents. You know, what's the difference there when there when you can tell there's that authentic appreciation versus like, I'm doing this to get my name out there. I'm doing this because you bought a beat or, you know, someone's paying you for a verse, but you don't really love the song you're getting on. But, you know, it's it's a paycheck. Like what's the difference there? Like, especially in the final product, can you tell the difference? You can definitely tell the difference because I, I feel like the music will lack passion. It'll lack authenticity. Um, you can definitely tell when two guys are doing it because they love what they're doing and they actually love what each other are doing. Like cap never came to me with any ideas as far as what I should write. He trusted me to be able to bring those beats to life and actually tell a story and, and present something lyrically. And it was the same with me. I never asked him to create any kind of sound or style of beats. I just, you know, as he was cranking them out, I was writing to him. So you can definitely tell the difference. And it's it's always a better product when the two guys have mutual respect, admiration and love for what the other one brings to the table. That's awesome. And, you know, when you look at that process and, you know, you're you're doing your thing with the writing, he's doing the production. How many beats did it take, you know, to go through and like, you know, the, the back and forth process? You know, what, what was that like as you as you guys settled on, you know, this is going on the album, this needs some work or, you know, this is great, but not really for this project. Like, what was that whole back and forth like? It was it's funny that you say that, because most of the beats that Cap sent me, actually made it onto the finished product 
it didn't actually take a, a lot of work as far as uh, I don't really like that one. It was literally he'd send me maybe four or five beats in per email and I would end up writing every single one of them. <laughs> so it was kind of cool actually um, seeing what he would come up with next as we were, you know, going through the process. And we actually recorded this, you know, together. And so as I was laying vocals down, Cat was in the room. It, I didn't send tracks back and forth. We were together each studio session to to make this album what it actually became so that was another beautiful part as i had his input on what i would do lyrically and vocally to to be able to come and, and bring the project to what it became and that makes a big difference right that face-to-face -face, like working together in the studio instant feedback you're not sending something waiting two days to hear back i mean i would imagine that process you just get a much better product in general Definitely, definitely. Because you get a chance to really gel, especially when, you know, this is, this is our first time actually working together. We got a chance to see how each other work, um, how we like to, to actually record music. Um, Cap got a chance to see how I like to uh, have my vocals mixed and, and how I like to edit it as far as the uh, vocals go. So it's, it's definitely a better uh, all around process. And uh, I feel like the finished product will, will reflect that we actually were together when we were recording this project. That's awesome. And did you record this? Because I, I know you're from Newark, but also uh, I know you're living in St. Louis. So, like, did you did you all record this in St. Louis or did you fly back to Jersey for this? So we I was uh, here in St. Louis um, and Cap is a, a native of St. Louis. Um so we recorded all this this entire project except for one song we recorded at suburban pro studios in st louis you know shout out to matt sawicki who mixed mastered and recorded this project did an amazing job that's really cool i mean do you because you rep jersey so much i mean are you able to channel that those jersey vibes that you want to get out in st louis i mean is there any challenge in that being geographically in a different space it, you know, when I first got here on the scene, I, I got on the scene in St. Louis in 2015. Um, it was the complete opposite of what I expected. You know, everybody was pretty much really embracing of the New Jersey element that I brought along with me. And I was expecting some pushback when I first, you know, made myself known. Um, but for the most part, it's it's pretty much, it's all love. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of the, um, a lot of the Midwest as a whole, they really have the opportunity to be influenced and hear everything because of they're in the middle of the country. They're able to hear the West coast sound, the East coast sound, the, the Southern sound, and they kind of really take bits and pieces of all three and make it their own. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about living in the Midwest now is that, I get a chance to see how everybody um, kind of digests different styles, but the Midwest does have their own identity. So I didn't really get any pushback as far as being from Jersey. Um, everybody knows, I'm, I mean, I'm a New Jersey native. <laughs> I'm born, raised. I didn't get to, out to St. Louis until I was an adult. So everybody pretty much knows that I'm a New Jersey kid to the death. Yes, but but you're enjoying St. Louis. I mean, do you what what what's the difference between living out in St. Louis versus Jersey? I mean, the biggest difference is, you know, the slang is different. The um some of the things that I may reference to pe people is definitely different. Um 
I mean, you know, you got places like Jersey Mike's that are everywhere. And I tell everybody, oh, that's not a real New Jersey sandwich. You need you need a real East Coast sandwich. Yes. But <laughs> but um, the, the biggest difference is just, you know, the some of the things that I grew up uh, um, influenced by and that I grew up and that's uh, sta- staples in my uh, childhood and growing up. Uh, I can't really relate with anybody on that. Um but aside, it's quieter, it's slower. I mean, being from the city, it's definitely hustle bustle, and and you know everybody's on the go. But being here, it's a little bit slower, and I definitely appreciate that. You know what I mean? Yes. Just for my peace of mind. <laughs> no, I felt that when I moved from Jersey to Virginia, and I felt like everything really slowed down, and people were just not in the hurry driving just walking like day-to-day stuff. Like it was definitely a lot more relaxed. And I, and I like that too. I like that much better than feeling like you're always late to something. Exactly. Exactly. Man, that's, that's awesome. You know, on fevers high, you said that you're a fly hustler with nerd tendencies, which I thought was a really cool line. And, you know, I'd love to hear you just like elaborate more on that. Like, what is that? You know, when you talk about nerd tendencies, like what are you into that, that, uh, you know, that, that makes you makes you feel that way and um because it, it was a cool you know um juxtaposition there mm, got you it's it's funny a lot of people ask me about that line and um uh, reason i say that and the, the nerd tendencies that i have is that i mean if you come to my studio right now I have action figures all across the studio. I mean, we're talking Batman, Spider-Man, Power Rangers, Spawn, the Predator. I mean, I, I, that's just, you know, I still watch Power Rangers to this day. So I have big, big nerd tendencies, man. But at the same time, you know, one of the, another major side uh, of, or part of me is that, you know, I did grow up in Newark. I did see a lot of things as far as the streets and, I was able to embrace that to a certain degree, but also keep that side of me as far as I know what's going on out there. I can be involved to a certain extent, but at the same time, this is also who I am. So a lot of people, when they meet me or hear my music, I think that they can sense that I've seen things. I've been around things as far as, you know, uh, urban life goes. But at the same time, um, that's not all of who I am. I still was I'm very well read and I still like things that don't involve what most rappers would consider to be uh, normal. (laughs) Yes. What I love about that line, I think I think why it probably stands out to so many people is just the honesty of it, because if if we go back towards like that mixtape era, you know, nobody would admit to watching Power Rangers or anything like right. that, you know, like right. <laughs> that's like taboo. You know, it, it was like, I don't have a regular job. I don't, you know, like anything that might be, um, you know, criticized in any way. Like it was very much like almost um, a fear of like people just being their authentic selves. Like, and and I think like, that's a great evolution of hip hop and something that you're embracing is just like putting your whole self out there versus just the pieces you think people might latch on to. Definitely. And I feel like guys like Lupe Fiasco uh, help with that, push that forward. Mm-hmm. Guys like, uh, I mean, MF Doom with the whole MF Doom character and how he even um, per- presented his music. I hope I feel like helped with that. I mean, and even with, um, 
I mean, one thing I always loved about, you know, Wu-Tang, for instance, you know, like their nicknames, like Johnny Blaze is the Ghost Rider. So for Method Man to embrace that as an AKA or alias was always super dope to me. Same with Ghostface, you know, calling himself Tony Stark. I always thought that was super cool. So I always thought that... I mean, I'm, I was like, they're comic book heads, too. We know that they're, like, not all the way submerged into the street life. For In order for them to embrace those as, um, you know, aliases or, you know, just another part of who they are and, and their persona. So I, I feel like that definitely helped with me being able to embrace it and then share that in my music at the same time. That's really cool. I, lo- I love that explanation, you know. Um I also really appreciated just the the lyricism on a song like Bogies in My Ashtray, for example. Can you talk about just like the writing process in terms of like how your rhymes really come together and, you know, come come together and to, to become a song like Bogies in My Ashtray? Uh, it's it's funny about Bogies in My Ashtray is I was for whatever reason, one morning I woke up maybe around like 4 a.m. and just couldn't go back to sleep. And bogeys in my ashtray was actually inspired by a lot of it is inspired by true life things um i talk about one of my friends who's currently serving 35 years for uh murder and armed robbery um i talk about other friends that you know i kind of feel as though they were takers you know they were they were here for the ride they didn't all the way uh support or it wasn't genuine but that i woke up one morning at 4 a.m and Cap had sent that beat to me. And I mean, the my pen just, it kind of felt like it was just pouring out of me, man. <laughs> With that song, the beat just spoke to me and that song just came about. And the reason I even named it Bogies in My Ashtray is because while I was thinking of the lines and the bars, I, lit- I literally had a cigarette in my hand and <laughs> was putting it out in the ashtray. And that oh, just kind of... It just kind of just felt synonymous. Like it, it just felt right. You know what I mean? But the, the lyrics in that song just, um, it's, it's near and dear. Um, another reason, um, that I, I feel as though is near and dear is because I have, uh, my boy accurate on the song. Um, and he and I have gone through ups and downs in our relationship. And I kind of touch on, you know, things of that nature, especially in the second verse, so to have him featured on that was really cool and kind of comes full circle for he and I to, you know, to come back and work again. No, that, that that's great. I mean, th- those kinds of backstories really bring the project even more to life, knowing, knowing things like that, you know, that on, on, you know, to the, to the average listener, it's a great song, but when you know the history behind it, it makes it even like more, more complex and, and adds that other layer to it. Definitely. And I always appreciated the fact of um, with the hip hop music, at least for, you know, the the artists that are being true and genuine, you know, when you hear backstories and things of that nature, like you said, it makes it makes the song touch home even more. It makes you love the song even more. So I definitely try to present that um, as well in my music, especially with the lyrics and and the, the stories I try to tell. That's awesome. And when you when you look at you, just, you know naming the the album Scam Musial after a, a, a Cardinal legend you know being in St Louis you know shout out Frank Thomas on the album you know, right. did you grow up like a baseball fan you know are you are you, uh, you know because because I mean Frank Thomas is one of those guys from 
um, from my childhood that, you know, it was always, you know, him and Griffey, like, and most people either loved one or the other. A lot right. of people didn't, didn't love both. It's like, you're, you're a team big hurt or you're, you know, you're Griffey Jr. with the backwards Mariners cap, right. you know? Right. <laughs> um, so my, I grew up in a big baseball family. Um, uh, all three, well, yeah, all three of my brothers, including myself, we all played baseball growing up. Uh, my grandfather coached us. I mean, he coached, um, uh, I want to say probably about 20 years coaching little league baseball in Jersey. Um, we're, we're big, um, New York Yankees family. I'm except for my brother, Marcus. He's a Mets fan. He's the only outsider here. Oh man. He loved loved Mike Piazza. So, (laughs) oh man. (laughs) So, but we were, it's funny, you know, we, we played the Frank Hurt game on, on Sega growing up. We were actually, we were team both. We were, we were in the middle. We loved Griffey and we loved uh, Frank Thomas, Big Hurt at the same time. So baseball was definitely in the house. I mean, we played, we love baseball. I mean, my brother still watches and, and can tell you and spit off any kind of baseball facts to this day. <laughs> still has his baseball cards in the whole nine yards, man. Man, that, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it, it's it's cool to hear that. And not surprised being from Newark that, you know, Yankees, it seems like a lot of people in Jersey gravitate more towards the Yankees than the Mets. That's a fact. That's a, that's a fact. I mean, everybody, I mean, from my grandfather, my father, like I said, my brother Marcus is the only one that likes the Mets. You know, we are a Yankee family. I mean, we used to go to uh, minor league games. We used to go to North Bears games. We used to go to Somerset Patriots games in Jersey. I mean, so yeah, baseball has just been a part of my life as far back as I can remember. Man, that that's awesome. So do you think Yankees or the Mets, either team, has a chance at Otani this offseason? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I definitely think so. Man, as as someone who's 10 minutes from Angel Stadium out here in, in, in Southern California, I hope not. But if he has to go somewhere, I'd rather see him go to the Yankees than the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's that like in, in in being in that vicinity and seeing what's going on? Man, it, it has been like such a depressing ride as an Angels fan. Like, you know, it's it what what's amazing is being able to get two dollar tickets off StubHub to go see Otani oh, wow. pitch. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you just start to take it for granted in a sense. You're like I try to tell my kids, like, this is like watching LeBron James, like right. anytime you want. Like you know, That's parking amazing. is only twenty bucks, and 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 so you can really take the kids and see see Otani pitch for less than forty bucks. You know, for a game, which is crazy. That's incredible, man! Wow. And so we took advantage of it, but like you know, you just keep hoping this is the year they're going to turn it around. They're going to win so much that Otani's going not going to want to be anywhere else. And then right. you know they implode like they always do, and it's like, well, he's <laughs> he's probably gone. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> it's like, like you hope not, but like you 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 kind of hope he does what's best for him too, and not you know exactly go, go, goes goes to a place that actually wants to win. Right, right. Yeah, man, it's 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 tough. It, it's definitely tough being an Angels fan out here, and, and growing up a Yankees fan, and you know, so I'm never gonna not root for the Yankees, but um, unless they unless they're playing the Angels, really. 
So, so what do you think the Yankees need to do to turn it around? Because I mean, this was definitely a season like they saved it by not going under 500, but you know, missing the wild card kind of imploding, you know, a lot of guys just didn't quite have the seasons that they, you know, were supposed to have. Like if you're Brian Cashman, where do you go from here? Uh, I honestly think that they need to just work on cohesion and and that for me that goes from um, of course play, you know you you can't win without having great players so they just need to work on cohesion and like you said a lot of guys did not have the seasons that we are known that that they are known for or that we expected so hopefully you know they just get there just get focused and because I I honestly don't feel like they need to make any major moves but yeah they just just need to get focused and just yeah. play. You know, just play ball. <laughs> that no, that that makes a lot of sense, man. You know, um, I love the artwork too for the scam usual cover. How did the artwork come together? Like, what's the story behind that? So we were at first we were looking for someone or a character to to really portray the scam cat like we we wanted to, to make a kind of like how czar face has their character uh with the guy with the metal face and the the cape and the, we were looking for something that just looked scammy <laughs> if if i could say mm. that <laughs> so we were we were you know thumbing through history of people that you know created or did pulled off some of the greatest scams or heist and things of that nature and it just wasn't fitting so you know cap is just like well, how about we just find or draw somebody that has, you know, a mask on or some type of a, a turban or something. So their face is just obscured and, you know, they look like somebody that might scam you. Like, okay. So we kind of got influenced from the Mortal Kombat character, Ermac, who has, you know, the bandages wrapped around his face and, and kind of looks a little mysterious. So we kind of ran with that. Mixed it in with uh, a little bit of like a, a turban looking uh, um, uh, mask. And that's the scam character. So that the, the artwork, the, the face you see is actually who we call scam usual. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Man, so, so in your research, looking up, you know, some of the greatest scam artists ever, like what'd you find? Like, like who, what, what scam artists, you know, do you feel... You know, if, if you're if you're making like you're you're you know you're you're the the most skilled the top the top scam artist who are they? We it's funny that you say that because the number one guy that stuck out to my to me I don't know about for Capo but for me it was Martin Shkreli actually. <laughs> mm, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it was him who I actually somehow or another wanted him to be on the cover, but knew we were probably running into some kind of copyright issues with having his likeness on the album cover. But he's definitely the number one guy for me, especially within recent times, you know, with, with everything that he had going on. <laughs> Man. Yeah. That's, that's wild. I, I still wonder if we're ever going to get that Wu-Tang album that he bought. Man, I I would hope so eventually, especially because that has been you know possessed by the uh, federal government when they seized his assets. So I would hope there was some kind of loophole within that you know agreement with that whole auction and everything. But I mean, I, I with it being a few years, I don't know if we'll get it. Man, fingers crossed though. It's got to some some interns got to break into that evidence locker or whatever yeah, they right? do, you know. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> that's what we need. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> it, you know, something I really appreciate about you as an artist is just how much you um you put into um you know performing and getting out there on stages. How how important have you found that to be in today's age where you know all your music is really easily accessible through um, the digital streaming platforms. And so a lot of times performances kind of get neglected. Artists don't always get out there. It's like they're, you know, it's, it's, you see them more online than actually um, on stages. You know, how important is that piece to you to, to be performing and be out there meeting people and having that, that physical presence? It's everything. It's for me, it's absolutely everything because uh, with the, especially the landscape of hip hop with the internet, it's so oversaturated with people that don't love it, don't put in the time and the effort. Um, I mean, they might even just be doing it for fun. They might be doing it to get girls. I mean, it's so it's just oversaturated with people online that claim to be an artist or MC or whatever. So yeah. I feel like that's the true, you know, lightning rod and deciding factor. If you are really an MC is when you have to get on that stage and actually perform the song that you recorded, wherever you recorded it in front of people. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy task. And I mean, for me, it's it's everything because I actually what the things that I get that I've sat down wherever I was uh, wrote, recorded now I get to share it with people in real time, see their reactions to it. And then after I'm done performing, I get to sit, talk with them and actually build a relationship. And that's so important in today's climate with music is that fans want to be engaged with the actual artist. So if you come to my show and you see me up there sweating and it's really a workout, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's really a workout up there. And we get to actually chat and I somehow or another touched you in, in, in any kind of way, whether you just thought the lyrics were dope, whether you can relate to the things I'm rapping about or whether I just impressed you with my technical abilities. Somehow or another, I get to talk to you and build a relationship and you can follow me online and you can keep in, you know, in touch with me. It's everything, man. So I, I feel like that's really the the life's blood of what I do is being on stage. That's awesome. And you came up, you know, repping, you know, the I standard showcases and, and, and being a part of those, how, how did those help you? Like, what, what was it like, you know, do you feel like that really helped kind of launch your career? Like what, like how important were the I standard showcases? I standard for me, shout out to, you know, to Jay Hatch and, and the, you know, uh, I standard as a, those were everything for me because, they taught me so much about the business. Um, they sh they showed me the importance of networking, especially when I would go to those uh, beat camp seminars that they would have twice a year. They showed me the importance of talking to people, having business cards. But at the same time, they also opened my eyes by being able to interact with some of my favorite producers, you know, right there in front of me hear them talk about what they do uh in the lab so that helped me sharpen my sword um on the production side but then also having to get on stage and play my music in front of a crowd actually because i <laughs> it's funny when i say this and i tell people because they don't believe me but every time before i perform i get extremely nervous and almost have a panic attack and but once i actually get on stage it goes away 
So it kind of prepared me to uh, to deal with that anxiety prior to getting on stage. But especially with not having to say anything, I'm on stage just playing beats. But I standard really, really was the uh, the launching pad for me, big time. That's cool. Yeah. No, Jay Hatch has done a lot for a lot of people in terms of like just, you know, providing venues and spaces for performances. So it's, 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 it's cool to hear his name because we haven't talked in a while. So that that's cool. Yeah, man. I, I Hatch is, uh, uh, always showed me extreme love. I mean the whole staff, but Hatch has always showed me extreme love always was a flag waver of mine. So, I mean, I got nothing but high regards and utmost respect for Jay Hatch. Definitely. That's awesome, man. You know, when, when you look at everything that you're doing today, making quality music, rocking shows, doing interviews like this, you know, what do you feel it takes to get noticed in today's landscape? Uh, it's, it's, that's kind of a catch 22, how I look at it now, because like I said, it's so oversaturated, uh, with, with artists and I mean, it's constant music coming out at all times. So, um, I feel like it's getting easier for uh, for guys like me to actually care about lyrics. I mean, especially with the, you know, the emergence of Griselda. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like, you know, they, them, you know, having the, the amount of notoriety that they have now and, you know, all the things that they've accomplished have really, you know, opened, you know, doors for people like me. And so uh, you just got to just kind of stay persistent, stay consistent and put out good music and continue to do bigger things and not stay stagnant and content with anything, you know, is for me, especially with the, you know, the guys that I'm around, you know, we accomplish one thing, one goal, we, you know, we'll celebrate it, we'll appreciate it. And then it's like, all right, what can we do next? What can we do that, you know, further our cause and get more people, you know, a, a, a tuned in or more people's attention so i feel like yeah it's it's just with the internet and the accessibility that people have it's a a double-edged sword because of the amount of people that are out here putting out music but it's also a blessing because once you're able to gain fans and gain traction you know they can have you know access to you at all times you know you really don't need a label per se or um, somebody really backing you, you can kind of do everything yourself, you know, even though you, in order to get to a certain level, you will need, you know, a team and some sort of budget, but to get started and kind of get it off the ground, you can just, you know, you got to just go. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's, you know, and when, when you look at like what's coming up for you, you know, like how would you, you know, think about like the rest of 2023, 2024, like what, what are your goals? What do you, what do you have coming up? Well, it's so, uh, it's funny because Capo and I have been talking about the, you know, scam usual too. And we really, I mean, the reception that we've gotten for this, this album has been, you know, way greater than he or I even expected, especially for our first outing as a, as a group. So, I mean, we definitely want to, you know, put that out and and get that recorded and done for uh, 2024. Um, another group that I'm in, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, Rotten, uh, shout out to Damon and Supreme Soul. Uh, we have a video drop in later on this month. Um, so, you know, we have a, a an entire EP that we have coming out probably early uh, next year as well. 
and I'm actually in the process of recording an uh, EP uh, solo. So, you know, I just want to take these projects and this, you know, these groups and this music that I'm, I got right now that I'm kind of sitting on and definitely get it into higher, you know, places. I want to, especially being around my bro, Damon, who's had um, licensing placements and TV shows and video games and commercials. That's something I definitely want to get into and, and looking to accomplish in 2024. That's definitely one of my... Uh, major goals on my list there man that's that's awesome that's awesome man you i appreciate you taking the time to to do this this was this was a lot of fun thank you man. i appreciate you having me man definitely yeah for sure man and and if you don't mind sending a picture over that would be awesome so i could um you know do the the artwork and everything for it definitely definitely we'll do that we'll do that Awesome, man. Yeah. And anything I can do to help out, you know, um, support anytime you want to come on the podcast, whatever, like, um, you know, I'm here, just please feel free to reach out. I know as I see stuff, you know, that you're, that you're releasing, I'll definitely, um, reach out. Actually, I have one more question for you too, before I forget, I don't want to lose you and, um, have to be like, Oh, can we, can I, can you call back? Right. Um, right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, you're you're an artist who was able to to break through and get love, you know, with different podcasts, including Southern Vanguard Radio. You know, what do you think it is that helped you really break through to to get to get noticed, to get that kind of love where it's, you know, there's a lot of artists submitting to a lot of podcasts. Like that's not an easy thing to do. Right. Right. Uh one thing that I did early on uh in my career was always made it a point to um, make myself available, I guess I say, for lack of better terms. So any way that I could connect with somebody or um, anybody that I I met, I was always genuine with them and always told them anything you need, you know, let me know. Whether that was me coming on their podcast, supporting their podcast or radio show, or I always showed love to people. And I always and I think that kind of turned into people appreciating me and showing me love. But at the same time, the fact that I had good product and good music, it was kind of easier. You know what I mean? As far as, Mm. oh, man, Rex, a good dude. Rex got good music. Oh, let's let's support. I've heard people tell me that, like, you're a good dude. You make good music. It's easy for me to support. So I feel that that's always played a major role is that I, I don't, I don't feel like I have connections in the music industry. I feel like I have friends in the music industry and that's always made things a lot easier for me as far as people helping me spread the word and supporting and promoting. So I think that plays a major factor into why I was, I'm, I have been able to uh, do some of the things that I've been able to do in my career. That's awesome. I mean, just just being easy to work with and being a good dude, that's like half the battle right there, right? Exactly. And that's one of the things that I learned from, you know, going to the iStandard events and having conversations with Jay Hatch is that nobody wants to work with a, a pain in the neck. You know, if you're easy to work with and you're cool and, you know, you're genuine and show love, you'll nine times out of 10 people will reciprocate that to you. So I definitely got to tip my hats off to him because, you know, this is a definitely a, a cutthroat business. People aren't always going to be friendly. Um, but if you can walk in a room and change the energy and, and bring positivity to it, 
you know, you'll you'll get, you know, what you put out and then some. So definitely.